looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Max. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. And welcome to all of you to episode 63 of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Dewaskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dewaskin. Great to have you back for another amazing week. And we do have an amazing interview for you today. Actor Michael Campion is in the house, or should I say Fuller House? That's right, Michael Campion. You loved him as Jackson Fuller on Fuller House. And he's here to talk all about his amazing career. We're going to go deep into his movies and TV shows, Red Ruby, Christmas Trade, RoboDog, and of course, Fuller House. So you guessed it, this episode is chock full of great stuff. So hang on to your seats, because that interview is coming up in just a few minutes. But if you're like, Jeff, I need more Fuller House in my life. I can't get enough Fuller House then you need to check out episode 45 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show, where I talk to Brian Bihar, the executive producer of, you guessed it, Fuller House. We talk about Fuller House a bunch in that episode, so definitely check that one out. Hopefully everyone caught last week's episode, episode 62 with Catherine Mary Stewart, star of The Last Starfighter, Weekend at Bernie's, and Night of the Comet. It's a great interview. If you need to catch up, go ahead and do that after. I promise you won't regret it. You'll love it. But do you want to take a minute to thank all my fans in India? We're shooting up the Apple Podcast charts in India. So shout out to everyone listening there and all the rest of the country. Step it up, people. Come on. Where are my France at? Where, where are my Australia at? Where are my America at? Where are my Canada at? Come on. All right. Well, thank you, India. Much appreciated. So I get letters and emails and texts and skywritings almost daily saying, Jeff, where can we hear you other than your podcast? And it's a fair question because why wouldn't I be a million other places as well, right? I know, I hear you. And so I here I am to let you know that I was just on the Jimmy Starr show with Ron Russell. That's right. I was just on Funny Science Fiction Live. I know. I was also just on the Bacast. Crazy, right? I'm everywhere and here with you, our special place. So check those out. Those are all on my YouTube channel. So go to YouTube, search The Jeff Dwoskin Show, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I also do a live show every Wednesday on YouTube called Crossing the Streams with a bunch of friends. Wednesdays, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We talk about shows and movies that you should be streaming on all the various streaming platforms. So check that out. You'll love it. There's 32 hours of amazing streaming suggestions awaiting you. I also want to thank everyone who follows, likes, subscribes to my podcast on their favorite podcast app. If you're like, Jeff, I haven't landed on my favorite podcast app yet. Well, there's so many to choose from. Good Pods, CastBox, Podchaser, so many. Go to jeffisfunny.com. There, there's a link that says follow the Jeff Dewaskin Show. If you click on it, they're all listed there. The ones I mentioned in Apple, Google, iHeart, Spotify. Pick the one that you love the most and just follow the show and you'll get alerted every time a new episode comes out. It's as easy as that. I know, they make it so easy for you these days. Technology, am I right? While you're at my website, also sign up for my mailing list. I send out an email every week just to remind you of all the goodness going on, so do that. You can also buy me a coffee. So much you can do. Jeffisfunny.com for all your podcasting needs, as long as those needs are only live from Detroit. The Jeff Dewaskin Show. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right, this is the part of the episode. Some say the most exciting part. I don't know. People are saying. Regardless, this is the part of the show where I bestow upon you some of the social media knowledge that I have gathered through my years so that we can all be social media mavens. A couple things today. One, fleets on Twitter. R.I.P. They're going away. Ah, just as we started to love you, they take you from us. Twitter is great at introducing new features, not knowing what to do with them, 
and then removing them instead of figuring out how they might be useful. So fleets, which is the same as stories on Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, they couldn't figure out how to make work, so it's going away. So say goodbye to your fleets. But shifting focus for a second to Instagram, I do want to share one quick thing on Instagram that I actually learned recently. I wasn't even aware. Maybe I'm the last one to know, but I'm going to share it with you in case you're the second to last person not to know. On Instagram, when you get comments on your posts, you can pin your favorite comments, up to three of your favorite comments to the top of the comments of that post. And this is the way so when people come to your posts, They see the best comments right up front, and hopefully that encourages them to also dig deep into their souls and leave you a comment as well of the same quality. And that's the social media tip. I do want to take a quick second to thank all my fans and listeners who support the sponsors week after week. I can't thank you enough. When you support the sponsor, you're supporting live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show, and that's how we keep the lights on. This week's sponsor. Epic, Epic Industries. That was unexpected. Epic, Epic Industries. What? Who keeps doing that? Epic. Epic. Our sponsor has brought you such amazing things as the solar power scissors, self-flipping spatula, dehydrated water, the you won't believe it's not a toupee toupee, the sock cloner, the goldfish resuscitation kit. That's right. Epic. 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 Epic, Epic. Epic Industries. Our sponsor is reinventing the future today. Grab an amazing product from Epic, Epic. Industries. Grab an amazing product from our sponsor. You won't regret it. It'll change your life. All right. Those products all sound amazing. I'm going to have to figure out where that weird echo was coming from. But I do think that's a perfect segue to my interview with Michael Campion. We had an amazing conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest. You'll love him as Jackson Fuller on Fuller House. Actor Michael Campion is here. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So you are uh, fresh off Fuller House. For uh, such a burgeoning career, you've had a lot of cool stuff. Do you feel kind of blessed in that way? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. The fact that I've gotten to do even half of what I've done is so crazy. Like I feel like legitimately pinching myself all the time, just knowing that I'm living the life that I'm living right now. And, you know, the fact that I got to do Fuller House and I had all those projects before Fuller House got me to where I was as an actor at that point. Such a blessing. I mean, I've been doing this since I was five pretty much. So you've been doing this since you were five. What kind of sparked the interest? Were you watching something on TV and you're like, I can do that? Bit of a weird story, but my mom was taking Christmas card pictures with me and my sister with one of her good friends who's a photographer. And she was like, oh, wow, your son is very photogenic. Do you mind if I send pictures of him to this like modeling agency? Like my friend, it was like, oh, okay. Turns out that they were Wilhelmina, which is like a really big modeling agency in Miami. I didn't know what it was. My mom knew what it was. And I was five at the time. And we went down there and they're like, wow, he's really photogenic, very extroverted, but we want to get some stuff on his resume. I mean, he's only five, so I think you should get him in like theater. Maybe he'd like it. And so the second I did like one community theater project, I absolutely fell in love. And I knew that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But even before then, I was super extroverted. I loved performing. Like I remember I was three. My mom told me this story where I was in this like Halloween costume competition and I would dressed up as Elvis. And apparently I like had won like the entire competition because I was like working the judges at like three. Just always had something in me. But really due to my family, I mean, my mom's side are very magical people. They're all performers like my mom. She's fairy godmother at Disney World. My aunt and uncle... They're Santa and Mrs. Claus at Disney World. They used to be clowns before then. I just got a very magical family on that side. All right, wait, let's let's back up for a second. So fairy godmother. (laughs) That's a lot to unpack right there. So the all right, so your mom is fairy godmother. Yes. Full disclosure. So we we can talk about you're from Florida, right? In the Orlando area. So I'm obsessed with Disney World. Like that's my favorite place in the world. So we could talk about that the whole time if you want. My family jokes with me. If I'm driving around, I'm in Michigan. If I'm driving around, they're like, let's go home. I'm like, and they're like, Jeff, turn here. They always say the only place I know how to get around is in Disney World. Like I could be anywhere and someone goes, let's go to the Haunted Mansion. 
And I'd be like, oh, follow me. Oh, yeah. And I'm off, you know, like, here's the fastest <laughs> way to go. He's like, but I can't even get home. Like, normally, I can't even get home. That is so funny. That's I, I, that's funny because I also know Disney like the back of my hand. I mean, I've been there so so many times. That's great. Okay, so I tell people who like just in a passing conversation, yeah, she's the fairy godmother. But since you know more about Disney and all that, she's not like the fairy godmother like character. I just say that because it's too much to explain that she's a fairy godmother at the Bibbidi Body Boutique in the castle who does like the transformations for the little girls, like the little princesses. So that's actually what she does. But she, but her title is a fairy godmother. So I I usually just say that. But it evokes images of her like being the fairy godmother doesn't matter but my aunt and uncle they are santa and mrs claus like professionally at epcot during november december season at the american like pavilion i'm sure that you're familiar with sure. that. funny story ready yeah okay so we go to the american place i, I yeah. can't remember what it's called but i know what you're talking about just the, uh, yeah. the outer edge of epcot we go there we always used to go during December, during Christmas. So we're waiting in line. Santa and Mrs. Claus aren't there. I am a hound when it comes to the photo pass person. Like when we leave Disney World, they have to probably change the rules after I leave because they're like, there's no way one person got this many photos with our photo pass. <laughs> so I'm guessing your family wasn't there at the moment. So the two chairs are open. Okay. This is how crazy I am. Photo pass person is there. I say, we take a picture of us in the chairs. I'm Jewish. I don't need a Christmas. I've got the best Christmas <laughs> picture in the world. And we're Jewish. It's I still put it up. It's great because I can make all my non-Jewish friends jealous of how Christmassy a picture I have. That's hilarious. But that's where it is. We're sitting in Santa and Mrs. Santa's seats because they were on break, right? <laughs> Wow, that that's so funny. I'm sure. Wait, so was this like in the past couple of years or like like a long time ago? It could have been ten years ago, but like oh. uh, you know, within I'm bad with time frames. It could have been yesterday. <laughs> that's great. That's that's really funny. <laughs> I, you have to show people this picture now. I'm very curious. I'll get it to you. <laughs> <laughs> you probably know more about this than I do, but at Disney World they have all these secrets, like these magical moments that they call them, right? And and so like we were walking in in the morning once and we're walking to the teacup ride. And as we're walking to the teacup ride, Alice and the rabbit are also walking towards the teacup ride. And in my head, I'm kind of picturing the trajectory of my kids and them, and they're going to meet right at the teacup ride. And sure enough, first thing they do every morning is ride the teacup ride one time with a couple guests. And like in that old, and there was an old commercial where they did it. And sure enough, my kids get in there with them. We're, my wife and I are in another cup videoing it. So they come in and out every five seconds because we're spinning. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's one. great. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, very, very magical. They they just got lots of stuff, even more so now. I mean, they've they've really jacked up the production value for all like the street performers. So, what's your favorite thing to do at Disney World? My favorite thing to do at Disney World. That's a great question. There is so much stuff. I have two main things that that we do traditionally. Go to the Disney campgrounds. We have like like an RV that that will pull up there. That's really fun. Bring my friends sometimes. We'll bike around the place. And then uh, like when I'm actually at Disney, I love. More than anything, gosh, I, I used to love the old Hollywood studios where they had like the stunt show and where it felt more like Hollywood. That's always been my scene. I love like sets and shows. That's by far like same thing with Universal too. Like they used to have like the disaster ride and like all these studio mm -hmm. tour type deals always in that direction. I don't really care for the rides, but I love like the production value of, of all the stuff and the performances. That's my favorite. Okay. Yes or no. Hall of Presidents. I've <laughs> I haven't been on there in like so long. <laughs> I don't even remember. I'm gonna go yes because it's cool. But besides that, I literally have no idea. My kids refer to it as uh, the place we can get some air conditioning yeah, and take a break. That's, that's right. exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right. So that's cool. Theater. Let's get back to the yeah. theater for a second. Is this the time you were in, like The Wizard of Oz, Annie, The Little Mermaid, or did that come? Later? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like that was way early on. That's when I just started yeah all that stuff annie wizard of oz aladdin uh, I, I i was in so many like community theater productions from like five to I think 11 and then like i did a few things here and there and i just recently did a theater production the lithgow family the thing out here they call them pantos it's like where the audience interacts with the stage performers and it's like a family thing. It happens during Christmas holiday season. Uh, it's called the Snow White Christmas. I got to be the prince in there. That was really cool because I haven't done a theater production in a long time. And that was like, that was really nice to get back to my roots. It was great. That's awesome. So what role did you play in The Wizard of Oz? I was the scarecrow. You were the scarecrow? Oh my God. Dude. Yeah, what? That's my favorite character. Oh, really? Well, you mentioned earlier being like a big, a big shot with the dressing up with Elvis, right? Like, so when I was in college... 
I was obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. I was obsessed with The Scarecrow. So we had this huge dress-up party, and it was going to be at the at the bar at the, at the college. I went as The Scarecrow. I watched the movie. I went to all these hot places. I, I put together a thing, and I won first place, a contest for it. But here's the best part. I'm walking down the street, dressed in full costume. Somebody pulls over and asks me directions, right? I mean, how crazy no, is that? No, that's great. So and then I did the whole scene from the movie. Oh my gosh! <laughs> when I'm doing the arms, you know, I'm like, God sent this person to me. This is how this is how the universe. This is how works. I get my big break. This is it right here. <laughs> so this is the big deal that's funny. right here. So that's cool. So all right, we have so much in common. No, <laughs> we love dressing up. We love Disney World. Uh, when I come to Orlando, we're gonna we're gonna hang out. Let's talk about some of your acting roles. I don't I don't want to just focus on Fuller House because you've done more. There's more that to you that led up to that. I watched RoboDog. Oh, did you know? Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I, did, I take these interviews seriously. I don't know. Like, I'm not just going to be all like, tell me about RoboDog. I saw it on your IMDb. Yeah. I watched RoboDog. All right. So first, nice job. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was the very first feature film I ever did. I was so little. I can't believe you watch it. That's great. You're the very first person who's ever like prepared this much for an interview. I am down for this. Yeah, I got to say, all right, for your first big acting thing, it's a, it's a heavy thing. The dog dies. Sorry to give it a spoiler, but it's early on. It's a whole setup to the movie. <laughs> Spoilers are those who are going to watch RoboDog. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's a big deal. Uh, to me, like I was watching that, I'm like, that's, that's heavy for a kid because you're still young. So there has to be some processing between real and this and that you have the dog dies that you're in love with. I mean, granted, it's a whole plot point. You need it to happen. But how did you deal with that? How do you prepare for like that kind of that's some deep emotion they're acting asking for? It. Oh, my gosh, this is so funny. No one's ever trying to dissect RoboDog. But I love it. This is so funny. I OK, so so RoboDog, which is let me, let me preface this a little bit for my my very first like feature film. Really great. But at the time, I like I didn't really know anything about acting like truthfully or whatnot i remember i was <laughs> remember that specific day that i had to like cry and be like all sad for that that scene i was like watching all these videos of like the ads for like the dogs in the like pound and in the kennel and i was getting all sad and i was like i was thinking of my own dogs and we did a few takes that that worked and it, I'm, i was very proud of myself i you know i i didn't have any like formal, I don't know, acting training. I didn't have like a method to do stuff or really prepare. I mean, that, again, that was like the first time I'm learning. I was learning so much about set and how it operated and how to like do my lines and things that that was uh, probably like one of the bigger learning curves. It was really good, though. It was a really great experience. And honestly, as much as my like friends will make fun of me for it, because like, ah, this is, you know, thing that you did when you were little, which is hilarious because they also have never done the, like a feature film. So they haven't, <laughs> can't say anything. It was great. And it was just a stepping stone for me to, you know, be, you know, where I am now and getting Fuller House and moving on in my career. It was great. I loved it. So in full disclosure, I've not seen the sequel, RoboDog Airborne. And then just so everyone knows, Michael plays a character named Tyler and he has a dog and the dog's name is Dog. But don't confuse that with the title RoboDog because this dog dies. And then another dog, then the father, who, by the way, is Patrick Muldoon, who I watched religiously in Melrose Place. That was something that we did. <laughs> wow. But I tell you, I am jealous. You got to work with Wallace Shawn. Oh, was I, that amazing. was super cool. I love that guy. Yeah, he's great. Have you seen The Princess Bride? Yes, I love The Princess Bride. I mean, to be able to work with that guy from The Princess Bride, inconceivable. I mean, it's like, it's, it's the greatest. Pretty legendary. He's yeah. legendary. He's legendary. Now, they did make a sequel to this, and I didn't watch the sequel, but I did watch the preview to the sequel. And it looks like they almost kind of, as I'm watching the preview, it was almost like, well, maybe we'll forget about the first movie because it was good. And we'll kind of reintroduce the same concept and we'll go even further with it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, we got a good idea, but now we have a chance to actually do it even better. So that's cool. So it was, fun it was always funny to me. Father is draying over this battery and then he makes the dog for you. And then suddenly it's like, he goes from worrying about a battery to creating a fully functional dog that's basically a super, super computer, super uh, Android. It was, it, was quite a, it was quite a jump. But I mean, I suspended my disbelief because I'm like, I'm hanging with Michael Campion. I got to suspend my disbelief for RoboDog and get through it. So <laughs> oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah, it was like the like discount arc reactor and it, like the whole movie was just, I mean, you know, it's something like the Eats on Hallmark, but I'm proud of it for what it was worth. It was fun. No, I enjoyed it. I'm like, I'm like, it was, you know, I mean, it was fun. It was fun. It's always fun to watch the person you're going to be talking to in something they're in. It's, yeah. it's a whole different kind of perspective when you're watching it for that reason. 
Right. And so for that, I thoroughly enjoyed it. For your first big motion picture, it was good. And it must have maybe it, I'm predicting more because I mean, look, the second one was just made a couple of years ago. So there could be another one. Robodog, more airborne, you know, something like that. Robodog 3, the Christmas. Spe- oh, no, no, no. It goes to space or some. Right. Uh, something oh, like Robodog yeah, yeah. 3, he's back you know, something, <laughs> something, something. Yeah, it's so funny. All right. So let's talk about Christmas trade. Kevin Bacon, degrees of connection with Christmas trade as you worked with Denise Richards, who worked with Patrick Muldoon in Starship Troopers. Yeah, that's right. There's a whole connection there. I feel, I feel like when I was watching the preview for Christmas Trade, where you switch bodies with William Baldwin, and then your William Baldwin's love interest was Denise Richards. Were you old enough when you were making this movie to appreciate this? <laughs> I was not, and I it was it was a problem. I really wish I was old enough because that would have been super cool. But looking back on it now, I'm like, whoa! Now, now I have like this deep appreciation for actually working with them. But um, yeah, at the moment, no, I was totally ignorant. All right, very cool. You did a, a series on Brat called Red Root. I watched a couple episodes of that. Uh, your, your classic kids disappear and come back as vampire tale. That was only one season, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was one season. But it was fun. Tell me, tell me about making that. Kids go missing from a cave, vampires. And this is a whole new genre for you. Right. Let me, okay, so zero bad nothing here. Let me just give you like my honest, this is the hottest take. It's really not a hot take, but it's just my experience. So Brat, like the network itself, never really had like actors on their shows. It was, they were trying to like create like influencer shows. So kids would watch their favorite influencers do shows, which is like, okay. Uh, I was like the first like actor they had really gotten on there. I was working with a lot of non-actors. And also the show itself was written very fast. And they aren't trying to make it be like the highest quality content. But it's just for like kids in you know, uh, YouTube or, or whatnot, which, and also this was like in between seasons of Fuller House. And man, it, first of all, it was really fun just to shoot, just to be on location and to just do some wacky stuff because it's a pretty like wacky storyline. I mean, you got, you know, the kids missing, they come back. I got to take care of this like vampire girl. Ruby. Ruby. Yes, exactly. Ruby, Red Ruby. And yeah, it went for one season. I really thought that they were going to do a second one. I it, ter- it turns out that they didn't, but it was fun doing it. Certainly not like challenging for me as a an actor or growing as an actor at all but it was it's always a fun experience to be on set and all that and to make work that's super different than fuller house but next time i get another show or a movie or something i really want like a real dramatic role i want to be able to show my range that's what i want next because a lot of people see me on fuller house next time something like red movie what type of role would you want to do to really kind of show off your acting chops well i've always had this one role in mind I have two versions of it. There's like the hyper-specific one and then there's a more generalized one. The more generalized one is I want to play a villain in a movie. It doesn't matter what, but the more hyper-specific is like a Hannibal Lecter in like a psychological thriller or like just a super charismatic villain who is like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had this audition for this one movie this one time and I'm so sad I didn't get it because it was the exact role that I'm talking about and it was like a kid that was my age and I could have done it right now. And it was, oh, I was, I was so mad. But yes, I want to be a villain in the movie somehow, but in a more realistic approach, I just want to do a more dramatic feature film at some point you know, in the near future because... I've been a Fuller House for so long, and people only know me as that, but I certainly have a lot more range than that. Sure. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, from Robodog to Fuller House, it's a jump, too, <laughs> right? So, the, <laughs> so how, how many auditions do you generally go on? Like a year? Well, th- let me ask it a different way. Uh, yes, a year or how, or what's normal or, or what do you hope to do? Like when you do something like Fuller House, which has a wide visibility, does it open more doors and people start calling you or is there always a hustle is are you always just trying to get in the door and and be seen oh yeah i mean fuller house has certainly opened up more doors and i'm being considered for more stuff but it's not like something crazy big it didn't like blow up mainstream culture so it's not it's not like people are handing me roles like please come do this I still, I mean, I obviously have to audition. I'm, I'm still on a hustle. Definitely on a hustle. I mean, I don't know many actors, unless you're like super top elite, that are getting handed roles like on the regular. You know, there, there's always some type of hustle, even if it is in the in the upper echelon. Like, oh, well, now it's you against 
Emma Stone, like who has more chemistry with, you know, whatever, whatever. So always a hustle, probably more hustle for me in the lower. I mean, I say, I say lower. It's not really lower. Obviously, there isn't really like a scale. It's just it's it's all made up, but certainly easier since I've gotten Fuller House and I have some things under my belt for sure. So let me ask you this question. I ask this of a lot of people. So when you're doing auditions, are there, and I say this jokingly, arch nemesis. And what I mean by that is other Michael Campion types. So when you walk into a room, you're like, oh, he's here again. And like, <laughs> and like, you're always going up against the same kind of people. You win some, they win some, you know, like, or, you know, that kind of thing. Is there, is there certain people where you like have that kind of relationship with, or that relationship exists in the universe? That is so funny. I am so glad that you asked this because I, well, first of all, yes, there, there are, I mean, well, a more generalized thing. There are a lot of kids with blue eyes, brown hair, straight, white male in, in in my category there's so many in so many agencies and honestly things are, are getting a way more diverse so those jobs are getting few and far between not few and far between like it's completely dwindling but there's a lot more competition for that so a it's it's already increased but b like people that <laughs> i'm actually close with and friends with who go out for a lot of the same roles i live with two roommates who are also trying to be actors and we get a lot of the same auditions all the time we're very cooperative because we know that the chances of any of us getting these roles is, is pretty slim. I've always wondered that question. And I've always like, this is on my mind all the time. Like, I want to get like a roster of all the kids who are going out for the same stuff in my agency. I just really want to know, like, are they getting more than I am? Like, I got to do some like corporate espionage and like find out what's going on here. Uh, yes, the answer to the question is yes, there certainly is. There's not one specific person. I intend to find out aptly as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> How much preparation do you do for like a role? Like when you get it, like, do you just read it and you kind of get an idea how you want to take the character or, you know, do you go in dressed a certain way when I, I don't mean like nice or not nice, if it would fit the character, like how much are you trying to paint the picture visually and auditorily? Is that, is that the right word? In the people's eyes and ears that are watching you audition that you're right for the role that you're going to click in. Cause it, a lot of it is, kind of matching what's in their head for a role, isn't it? It's kind of, there's some preconceived notions that they're going to have. And you kind of even walk in, if they were picturing some tall blonde, you got to strike against you right when you walk in, for example. Yeah. If you're not a tall yeah, blonde. Yeah, right. Which you're not. Yeah. For those at home who can't see, because it's audio. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. That is a is a good question. I'll give you two answers. So the first answer is when, we, when I do self-tapes versus when I go in person. Because when I do a self-tape, I have a lot more liberty to jack up the production value and really go ham and do and make some crazy bold choices because you're not in the room. They can't ask you to change something. So you got to really make a good first impression. So the first thing I do first and foremost is to just get my lines down. It's a thing that I've learned, you know, in this acting technique of Meisner specifically is to bury your lines, meaning get it as good as you have like your address. You can just spew it off without having to think about it. Bury it verbatim, like for every single word, and then wrote, meaning without meaning. So you basically take every single line of your text, you put it in a big document, and you just learn that as one giant paragraph. Every time that I bury it, so I could just spew it off like, Mr. Tyler, my name is Randall Moore. Well, yes, I should have resident. Expect to be welcome. You don't know how I'm doing for the coalition. Like, it's so, like, that's like just like one of the random things that I have buried. So that's like 70% of the work already, just burying your lines. The other like 30% is just making a choice on how to do that. And that's honestly the fun and easy part because getting to dress up a particular way or instead of being mad here, you just, you be excited. And that's, what people that people think that that's the 70% of the work. It's really not. It's it's really just like being present with the other person. It's it's really just not being in your head and being as as truthful as you possibly can. Being there presently in the moment, being as truthful as possible. That's all the stuff that matters. The distinction I make from going into a self-tape is that I can make a larger production value. I can almost literally paint the scene. I've done stuff where like it was a driving scene, so I was in a car and I sell and I film myself in a car. I've done wild wild stuff for self-tapes because 90% of people are going to have a blue background and a reader and they're, they're just going to stand there or sit there. If you have a good performance and you have good production value, you're going to stand out and then they're going to want you more for a callback. And I've gotten pinned for more roles that I did crazy stuff for than I have just normal auditions. So yeah, that's it for self-tapes. I haven't really been on a... Man, I can't remember the last time I did an in-person audition. I mean, for, for an in-person audition, it is a little bit more stressful because you're there, you know, there's everyone there, you're you're a little bit more nervous. And the person who's reading may not be the best actor 
to play off of your emotions and for you to react off of them. So that, you know, diminishes the performance a little bit. That's always been a problem though. But it's honestly a much more fulfilling experience because they get to tell you what they want. You know, hey, make this choice instead. So they know they can see your range. It's a better experience all around and you're going to get booked way more off of in-person than you will self-tapes. That's how I want to be booked. It was interesting how you were saying about memorizing lines. That's kind of how when I do stand-up comedy, I memorize the words. And then you have to get it to a point where you're kind of just saying them and they have to come out natural as if they're just, you're just saying it for the first time. And you apply all the emotion and inflections when you're actually saying it, not when you're kind of running through it. I can relate to that. Right. That's very cool. If you bury it with emotion attached behind it, you're now in your head and you're playing off of yourself rather than the audience. Like say someone like heckled you in the audience or whatnot, you wouldn't be able to reply because you've only set it up for yourself and not for the other people like to have that degree of improvisation, which is really important. That's cool that you do stand-up. I didn't, I didn't know that. I do stand-up. I live with a stand-up comedian, so I know all about that world. I've been to a lot of his shows. I know about crowds. I know about, you know, like what, what it takes to do that. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Good for you. I know you mentioned your friends that you live with and the ones you audition with. How did your friends that you grew up with, that you maybe were in theater with, you went to school with non-acting friends, how did they react to your fame? Well, I should say, how did they react to your fame to your face and how did they react to it behind your back? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know the answer to the second question because uh, behind my back, but okay. So it's interesting because people have asked me this before and I have non-acting friends, but they've always been supportive throughout my whole life. And anyone else who's ever had like an adverse reaction or was like jealous in any way, they have always been acquaintances and below, like barely knew them. But like my core group of friends have been comprised of actors, mostly. And the ones that aren't have been around me so often that they just know that's what I do. But when I got Fuller House, they were very supportive of it. They were so ingrained within my life that they were out here and they, I mean, Fuller House went for five years. So they got to experience, you know, what it was like on set for me and what it was like to live that life. And sometimes like when you strike it lucky, which I consider myself very lucky, I mean, to be able to be on a show like this and your actor friends are not supportive, there's like a big problem there because actors are the first ones to know how difficult it is to get a job. Not only something, you know, that is so widely regarded as, you know, a good show like, like Full House. So super supportive, no like backstabbing behind the blah, blah, blah. Those only times that it, that that had ever happened seriously were very few and far between. And with people I didn't even like and people that had no significant part in my life, my family still treated me the same. In fact, they actually started treating me, not worse, but playfully more disciplined because it's like, well, you know, we'll show you and your actor, you know, <laughs> we'll humble you. So it, it actually mostly had the opposite reaction to whatever you're thinking. Right. You walk in, you're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to go eat dinner with Bob Saget. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So that, that's cool. That's that's good to hear. You're a magician. You have a love of magic. How did you get into magic? My aunt and uncle, who I had said before, Santa and Mrs. Claus, they were professional clowns at the time. When I was eight years old, they gave me my first magic kit. And from there, I was just hooked. Like forever. I mean, that would just it was another outlet for me to perform, another outlet for me to fool people, and like it was. It's such as like this like powerful tool that I could use in social situations, which I learned later. I mean, that when I was like eight, I wasn't really doing it for those reasons, but fell in love with magic from eight, and then like around eleven, it tapered off. But then I got right back into it in like the middle of Fuller House. I was back home in Florida during the off season and I went back to the magic shop that was close to me where I had started. And I was like, why haven't I been doing this? Like, what is going on? I, and so I started doing it again, just literally out of nowhere. And then I came back to California and I went to a magic shop close to here. And there were these two kids in the magic shop that had like these suits on. And I was like, where did you guys come from? And like, oh, we're junior members of the Magic Castle. I had heard about the Magic Castle and I had been there one other time before. Do you know what the Magic Castle is, by the way, in California? Does that ring a bell at all? No, tell me. I don't know. So so the Magic Castle is this world-renowned magic club. This is like where every magician you've ever heard of goes. Like this is Magic Hub Central and it's this place in Los Angeles. It's a, you can think of it a little bit like a, like a stand-up venue where they have like multiple rooms but it's like this Victorian mansion in Hollywood. 
And and there are different performers in each room. And if you're a junior member, you're one of the people who are under 21 and can perform on the weekends. If you're over 21, you can book any night at the Magic Castle. But you have there's like a very specific dress attire you have to wear. It's like suits and ties and dresses. And there's like fancy dinners and brunches. You can look it up later. It's very cool. But I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I had a junior program. I'm getting into this right now. That's when my magic really started to take on a serious hobby level where I got into the Magic Castle. I, I auditioned and their acceptance rate is very low. Like 24 people auditioned. I think three got in that year. I was one of the three, which was really crazy. And then I started performing weekends ever since. And I just, I mean, I pretty much lost a whole year of magic. 2020 was just completely gone, but it's, it just opened back up pretty much every other weekend. I'll, I have a show that I do and I'll just say, Hey, I want to perform this weekend. And then they'll let me do it. So it's really cool. How long of a show can you do? Okay, so there's um four, not five rooms, I'm pretty sure. There's like the stage shows, and then there's various sizes of close-up rooms where, where they do close-up magic. I currently only have a close-up show, which is 20 minutes, and that's like the average. And I do about five or six shows within a brunch period. But I'm working on a stage show right now, so that would probably be a little longer. I'm not sure how long. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. But, but we get our, our own individual rooms, so it's not like we're switching out. Or there's like people before me. They can hop from room to room and get in line and then, you know, see the show. It's really great. That is awesome. All right. Let's talk about Fuller House. You've mentioned it a few times. So how, how did you land the role of Jackson Fuller? The process was very interesting. This is a pretty crazy story, but I'll, I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest. So I was 12 when I got an audition. I mean, it was just a normal audition from my agency. I got the breakdown and said like, untitled sitcom four. I, I don't know. <laughs> I went to my self-tape place in Orlando, which had my acting coaches there. You know, I've been going there for years and I did it. And I was like, okay, cool. Didn't think another thing of it. Then I get a callback and still untitled sitcom. I was like, oh, okay, you know, and anytime you get a callback, it's, it's cool. So I did it again. Then by the third time they asked me back, I was like, okay, this is getting pretty serious. And then they revealed that it was Fuller House, like the sequel to Full House. And I was pretty, I was like, I loved Full House. I mean, I, I watched uh, on Nick at Night and all that. So I was really excited. And they asked me to like dress up a particular way and do my hair a particular way. And I was like, okay, they, they really like it. And then I think I did one more audition, but out of some like weird translation error or, or some weird thing between like my, my agent, manager, and like people out there, they wanted me to, to go out and do my final audition to LA, but I didn't. For some reason, I don't know. I don't. I really am unclear about what happened there. Point is, they eventually they they actually gave it to another kid. I lost the role. What? Because of that, like, yes, there was another guy who was Jackson, and they cast him. They did two days of rehearsal, and I went, oh, okay. I mean, you know, whatever. And then I go back to do a completely separate self tape, and my mom is is sitting in in the lobby, and and she gets his email, and she goes, they didn't like the kid, like there's something off with the chemistry. They want you to go on tape right now. And I went, oh my God, oh my God. So I went to Walmart, I changed my clothes. I go over, I, I completely forfeit the other audition. I do this one, I send it in an hour later. They're like, okay, we want you in California right now to do Los Angeles to do your final audition. Come literally right now. And I went, oh my God. Okay, so that morning, my mom and I got up like a 4 a.m., five hour flight to LA. This was like the third time I'd been out to LA like in my entire life. We get picked up by a limo. We get dropped off at Warner Brothers casting office. And it's me and my mom. The security guard lets us into the employee break room because we still had our bags with us so I could like get ready and like do stuff. But we were sitting there for several hours before one of the agents came up and said, hey, come to the back. And so it takes us to the back. It was me and one other kid. One kid goes down. He does his thing. I go down. And this was like a very scary looking room because there was like the stage and then there was a lecture hall style like college room where there are these rows of people. It was much smaller than like an auditorium. It was like literally like one sixteenth the size, barely. But there was like at least 30 people in this room, all like casting directors and producers and writers. This was like the last thing. And I couldn't see their faces because I had like this blinding light in my eyes. But anyways, I go in very nervous, do my thing, go out. Then they tell the other kid, hey, you can go. But Michael, we need to tell you your hotel information. And I went, okay. They get me into the room and everyone's like in the circle and there's a camera on me. And I'm like, what's going on? And then they basically were like, congratulations. Welcome Netflix, Fuller House. You're Jackson. Uh -huh. <laughs> I went, wow. And I started crying and my mom was there and we were hugging and 
oh, also, that was the week of my 13th birthday. So that was quite the uh, the birthday present. It was crazy. And then literally next day, they cut my hair. I had to learn all these lines and I was shooting with John Stamos. And I was like, what just happened in my life? And so lit- I, I, we, we had packed for two days to be out there. We had to be out there for two weeks before we went back to Florida for a hiatus. And it was nuts, dude. It was, cr- I mean, that just goes to show nothing is certain in this industry. Even, even when you have literally like book the role and you're there that's not even certain you know <laughs> like that's crazy to me michael j fox wasn't the original marty mcfly it was somebody else and like uh, they film scenes everything yeah. you, know, you never know never give up never give up you're right because it's all about the chemistry once they start filming so that's awesome that's crazy man what was it like kind of just working with a cast that was so tight-knit because i mean they're coming back i mean this is like a huge reunion for them and like there's all that that synergy and energy that they they've had for decades. I mean, this wasn't a normal situation where like all these people came together just for this TV show. There was a good percentage of that cast that had done full house together. And so they hadn't worked together in a while, but when they came back, it was like they knew all their uh, ins and outs. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone was good friends already. I mean, they've been friends for 30 years. Talk about chemistry. That's, that's like beyond chemistry. That's like family at that point where they literally have been so close for all these years. And honestly, it was so easy getting integrated into their group because they accepted like the, the newcomers with big open arms. And since they already had all this chemistry from, you know, 30 years ago, I felt very welcomed. I didn't feel out of place. They made sure like I knew what was what was going on. I knew the ins and outs and just a great experience. I mean, it's really interesting looking back because that I've grown as a performer definitely, you know, on that show, but they definitely like facilitated that growth and this was like not a normal show. Let me let me just preface that. This is not a normal show where, you know, you have some of the cast and then whatever whatever. No, this was like we did stuff as a family. We were literally a second family where we went out and did stuff all the time and we supported each other and there was zero drama on the set. I mean, like when I say zero, I, okay, obviously there was like some little tiny things here and there, but in comparison to any other show that was going on at that time, we were flawless. And that is such a blessing to have. I just, I literally still can't believe that it went as smooth as it did. And everyone, not just, not just the cast, but the crew loves each other too. So big supportive vibes. And I learned a lot, crew as a former, and now I have this like second family that I can, you know, be with. Yeah, I imagine you're stuck with them for life because they never, that was one of the things I think with the original cast was in the media, if you're just watching in the media, they they always were connected. They were always somehow together. You kind of always got the feel. So let me ask you this, now that the show's done, how did everyone really feel about the Olsen twins not showing up? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Honestly, it was disappointing. I mean, like we wanted them to be there, but we understood. It was like, all right, you know, they don't, they don't really care to go do this here. But in response, we made a lot of very meta jokes about them not being there. It actually turned out to be funny, but no one was like heartbroken over it. We, we all understood. I just wish that they would have been on for one, just one out of the five years. I was so disappointed that I never got to meet them, but it's whatever. That would have been nice. So 30 years from now, when Michael Campion is uh, your generation's Tom Hanks and your big shot and they're doing uh, the full assist house. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're going to make a cameo. You're going to come back. Oh, oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Would you ever miss this opportunity? <laughs> no, no. It's got to be a trilogy. Next 30 years. And then like, they're like in wheelchairs, like Bob Saget and like, we got to cart him around. That's so funny. Oh yeah. That'd be, that'd be fun. 30 years from now, fullest house. I like it. Let me ask you a couple questions. As a child star getting into your non-child years, pretty much grew up on Fuller House. I mean, oh yeah. if you're off to college and all that kind of good stuff, you know what they say about kid stars. And so I wonder like if your parents were ever worried about you, you seem to be like the most together person. And so it doesn't seem it's negatively affected you at all. And you seem to be a very together person. Granted, I have Thank no you. idea what you're going to do when this mic- when the camera goes off, <laughs> but you seem good head on your shoulders. What advice do you have for kid stars on how to handle rejection and stress and balancing being a kid still and the disappointment that comes with acting? That's a good question. I like that question. Well, let me preface this by saying I know a lot of kid actors who definitely went down that rabbit hole that you're describing. And, you know, you hear all those horror stories about child actors being like, you know, just terrible things happening to them. 
that's very very sad but it is true that that happens a lot it's definitely dwindled off now it affects a kid growing up like when you're on a show like that and you're pampered i mean a, a lot of a lot of your maturity gets lost your mind is now in this weird domain where like you feel the need to be like treated it a particular way and then most kids will go down like you know they'll, they'll go off with their bad friends and I, okay all that aside the the people like who are around my age or you know younger who want to pursue acting as a serious thing i will say it is not easy there's nothing about this that is easy and anyone who claims to be is scamming you all the time and i've certainly dealt with people who are trying to scam there's a lot of that but when you get into this as craft rather than just a fantasy or an idea, which is what a lot of kids will go into. They'll see like their favorite stars and be like, I want to be that. That's exactly what I want to be. When they don't realize that was probably like one one off lucky thing that happened to them. And if you want to be like serious about this, it takes years of practice, takes years of commitment, but not only just years of practice and commitment, it takes years of refining your craft. That's what a lot of people miss about being an actor. Because if you think about what other performing arts are about, or honestly, any anything that has to do deal with craftsmanship, like, I don't know, carpentry or, or something like in the more physical art world, that is a skill that is learned and is trained and practiced over time. And a lot of actors don't have that discipline, as opposed to like a dancer who is always dancing, always doing stuff all the time, or a singer who's always training that. So I, actors tend to tend to get lazy in that department. But I've seen, you know, a few child actors who are very committed to it as a craft, but you just have to be prepared to give everything up. Hey, you want to go hang out with your friends? Nope. You have an audition you have to study for. Hey, you want to do this? Nope. You're actually shooting those days. Sorry. Oh, your birthday? Who gives a crap? Literally, no one cares. You're getting paid this much money to do this job. Oh, school? Yeah, you have to do that too. Like that sucks. <laughs> and honestly, that I think out of everything, if you're if you're on a job, because for me, that was one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do is balancing school with work. That was awful because I was basically, I basically had two full-time jobs and I'm so lucky to have an onset tutor who helped me and the other kids on the show with the work and get it in on time and whatever. But I had a homeschooling program that was basically built for child actors around their schedules and stuff, which we all went to. It's not easy, but I got out of there as fast as I could. I graduated. I mean, I got all my work done. It teaches you this great deal of discipline that you and, and this great deal of maturity that, that you would have never learned otherwise if you treat it as a craft and such. Because like, I'm looking at it two ways. Either one, you can treat it as a fantasy and like the get-rich-quick influencer type deal that a lot of kids are going down these days. Or you can treat it as a craft and you're a storyteller and a person who has to put your emotions on the line and be blatantly honest with yourself and trained for years and know that it's hard work, but super satisfying and super fulfilling at the end of the day. That's the path that, that I'm choosing that I just see so many not or not as committed. And if you're not that level, it's, it's too competitive a market for you to be in it, really, if you're not always on your game all the time. That, but that's like the harsh reality that no one really wants to hear. That's what we're here to do at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Deliver the harsh reality. Thank you. No, Michael, that was amazing. Thank you. That was Those were great words. Someone will hear them. And it'll make a difference in someone's lives. That's that's pretty cool. I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. This was was really great. Everyone listening, go tweet hashtag RoboDog3. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make it happen. It's got to be a trilogy. It deserves it. It deserves it. <laughs> it deserves a third wrap up. I want this. This is great. This, the story is not complete yet. The story is not. He, he, <laughs> he lost his memory, got home, but now there's more. There's more stories to tell. No, but thank you so much. I, I got to tell you, for being in the world of acting, as long as you have you, and a, a very impressive resume. I wish you nothing but continued success. I know the greatest things are ahead of you. Thank you very much for sharing these stories with me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. How amazing was that? Michael Campion, everyone, who dropped everything they're doing and head over to Netflix to rewatch or watch Fuller House. I know. Puts you in the mood, doesn't it? Also, don't forget to head over to the internet and join in on our RoboDog 3 campaign. Very important. Need that to happen. Not only for Michael, but for, I think, the world. The world needs RoboDog 3. We're nearing the end of our episode. Can you believe it? So you know what that means. That means it's time for another hashtag. When 
the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. That's right. Follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app on the Apple or Google stores. Tweet along with hashtag roundup and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. All right. Well, this week we picked an awesome hashtag. This one, of course, in honor of Michael Campion, RoboDog, and our sponsor, Epic. 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 And our sponsor, the hashtag is hashtag an invention I need. Tweeters went to Twitter to tell the world an invention that they felt they needed and tweeted with the hashtag, hashtag an invention I need. And so here are some of those inventions. A Roomba that picks up the dog poop in your yard. That sounds amazing. A winning lottery number picker. Wish I had that before I spent $100 million on lottery tickets. Pre-made scrambled eggs. Seems like a no-brainer. Who has time to scramble their own eggs? A self-zipping zipper? I can't tell you how many times I could have used that. A robotic cat that actually drives a car. Ooh, that sounds epic. Epic. That sounds amazing. These are amazing. Hashtag an invention that I need tweets. And here's some more. Robot politicians that are incapable of lying. <laughs> what would we all talk about then? Uh, you'd better sit down for this one alarm. Oh, that would that would really be helpful. An air guitar tuner. Oh my God, I wish I had thought of that before I threw out my air guitar. A lunch that packs itself. That sounds great. That would be perfect for the kids. They would love that. Shoes that untie themselves when you're exhausted after work. Why didn't someone already invent that? A mute button for annoying people? Oh my God, that would be incredible. And finally, the last hashtag and invention that I need, glasses that are fog-proof. Oh my goodness, I could have used this when I was wearing a mask for all those many months. Well, those were some amazing, as I'm sure you can agree, if not epic. epic. <laughs> those were some amazing tweets, I'm sure you can agree. All those tweeters are retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter. Follow me at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter and Instagram at Jeff Dewaskin Show. Go retweet tweet those tweeters they're also listed in the show notes show them some love grab the hashtag roundup app yourself tweet along so that one day i can read one of your tweets on the show well that's it folks we're at the end episode 63 we made it we did it all right i want to thank michael campion for being an amazing guest and i want to thank all of you for coming back week after week and i'll see you next time Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>